Good morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 is where we'll be in just a minute. Enjoyed worshiping with you today. If you're visiting with us, we appreciate your presence. You could have, uh, could have been somewhere else, and uh, you chose to stop by here at Cornerstone, and we're honored uh, that you chose to be with us, and we hope that our worship has been uh, a blessing to you so far. We are in the third of a series that we're calling Real. And you've seen, we've got cards that are, you know, they're at the various places throughout our building, and then we're using those to, uh, one, just kind of tell us uh, what we're talking about during this series, but we're also using those as a tool to invite others to come and join us at Cornerstone. It's something that we're using to say, hey, look, this is what we're trying to be. We're trying to be authentic. We're trying to be genuine in our faith as we talk about what it means to be real and what it means to have real honesty and real concern and all of these, all of these different things. And we're looking at the book of James as he instructs us on what it means to be, to be real. And we ask, well, you know, why do we need to do this? Why do we need to think about what it means to be a, a real Christian? Because, I mean, I'm a Christian. What's not real about that? Well, you know, there's a lot of things, a lot of products, a lot of claims, a lot of politicians, a lot of everything else that claim to be the genuine article, right? Yes, right. There's a lot of stuff that claim to be real, and then when you buy it or watch it or listen or watch or observe or whatever it is, you realize this is not genuine this is not real and the sad thing is as we've said the last couple of weeks is that there are a lot of people who claim to follow Christ claim that their their faith is real yet they don't demonstrate that or they live life in such a way that where they say in their words I believe in Jesus but when you look at their actions they claim the exact opposite you know what I'm talking about that is not, say it with me, that is not real. That's not real. That's why we get hung with the name hypocrites. That's why that gets placed on us. Because we say one thing and then we do something completely the opposite. And so that's why we're talking about what it means to be real. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the definition. You know, there's the, that first one that's talking about, you know, something that actually exists. It's a thing. It's a fact. It, it occurs. It's not imagined. Okay? But what we're talking about is, is that second definition. Okay? It's the substance of a thing. It's not imitation. It's not artificial. But it's genuine. And it's authentic. And as followers of Christ, that's what we need to be. Am I right? And so we've said this the last two weeks. I want you to say it with me. We're going to say it twice, very loudly. Say this with me. As followers of Christ, we must be real. One more time. As followers of Christ, we must be real. Do you believe that? We absolutely must be real. If we are going to have an influence in our world, in our 
community, let's dial that in a little bit more. If we're going to have an influence in our community, on our jobs, where we live, you know, those kinds of things, the people that we sort of uh, are, are connected with in the various circles of life, if we're going to have an influence for Jesus, we must be real. We must be genuine and, and authentic. And that's why we're, we're talking about these things. And so a couple of weeks ago, as we opened up this series, we talked about what it means to have to, to be real during the trials and the struggles that we go through in our life. And you'll remember, you know, James says, hey, you can't count those things pure joy. <laughs> like, what? Joy? But what we realize he's saying is, look, God is going to work in you and through those situations. He's going to, he's going to mature you. He's going to grow you. He's going to bring your, your faith into completion. And then last week, man, it was kind of a doozy as we talked about real honesty. One of the, the ways that Christians get themselves in trouble, and I'm guilty of this, is by when I blow it, I don't own up to it. You know what I'm talking about? You ever done that? You blow it, you don't own it. Okay? Now then, as we've said the last couple of weeks, being real does not mean being perfect. Okay, because if you're trying to present yourself as perfect, that's not real. Because nobody's perfect, right? Okay, so none of us are perfect. But what that does mean is that when we do mess up, when we do blow it, it means that we go to that person or those people or whoever it might be, and we just say, hey, look, I'm sorry, I, forgive me. I said this, I shouldn't have said it. I did this, I should not have done this, it's not what I... You know, that's not what I believe, it's not how I should be acting, or it's not what I should be saying, you know, will you please, you know, could you forgive me? And we go to that person and we confess and we're honest about our life and about our struggle. We don't make an excuse about it. We don't offer an apology and hook an excuse on the end, to, end of it, you know? Hey, I'm sorry, uh, but I was having a bad day. You know, totally making yourself the victim again and making somebody feel sorry for you. When we mess up, we fess up. We do what we can to make reconciliation and make it, make it right. And so today, today we're talking about what it means to have real faith. Now then, it's, it's one thing to say that you have faith in God and faith in Jesus, is it not? I mean, many people say that. Okay, you can go online and you can look at the statistics and you can see that there are a lot of people who claim to believe in God. There are a lot of people who claim to believe in Jesus and, and, and the things that he said, but it is a completely different thing to demonstrate that. Is it not? It is a completely different thing to, to prove that you believe in Jesus. You know, it's that, that question, you know, you ask somebody, are you, you a Christian? They say, yeah, you know, I go to church. Okay, you know, you go to the garage, that doesn't make you a car. You know, just because you go to church does not necessarily mean you are a Christian. You hear me? It doesn't necessarily mean that. Okay, we have to be people that demonstrate our faith. You see, people, when they know when they know that we are Christians, they tend to, at least in my experience, 
people tend to observe us a little bit more, and especially when things get tough. Because they want to know if we are genuine, if we are real, if our faith is going to stand the test that we might be going through at, at, at that particular time. And so the question that we want to consider this morning is this, do we have a word faith or do we have an active faith? You see, because people will determine what kind of faith we have, not by our words only, but by our actions, by how we we live our life. And here's the thing, and I think we'll see that in just a minute. Faith without action destroys influence. Does that make sense? Faith without action destroys influence. In my uh, ABC group that I'm, I'm teaching on Wednesday, it's, it's titled uh, People of Influence. And that's what we are, are trying to be as followers of Christ. We want to influence people for Jesus. And as I've said in that class, and as I've said in here before, you know, there is a lot of negative influence, okay? There's a lot of negative influence in our society, okay? And, you know, you don't have to look very far to find it. There is not enough positive influence. There's even less Jesus influence, okay? And we want to be the people that have an influence as well, okay? I mean, we could easily circle the wagons, could we not? We could circle the wagons and have this kind of little commune and it's just us, you know, and no more. But I don't think that's what Jesus calls us to. I don't think that's the, the call of, of Christ. Our job is to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We are a city on a hill, which means we are to have an influence, okay? And so what kind of influence are we going to have? It's, it's one or the other. It's either going to be good or it's going to be bad. Okay, I don't know of anybody that had, just has neutral influence. By the way we live or by the things we do or don't do, we will influence somebody. And we want to be the people that have an influence for Jesus. We want to be people of influence. And so James is talking to us this morning about what it means to have real faith. And when we demonstrate real faith, I think that has an influence on the people around us. So let's just, uh, we're going we're gonna to skip the first half of the chapter, drop all the way down to verse 14, uh, and we're going to start reading there. And I'm going to just pause along the way. 14 says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? If you say you have faith, but you do not have works, can faith save you? Now, right off the bat, you read a verse like that, and you realize, wait a minute, that's, that sort of sounds a little bit different to, to something I've already read in the Bible. You read that, and you realize, wait a minute, that sounds like it's contradicting Paul. It sounds like James and Paul are at odds with one another. As a matter of fact, years and years ago, back in the 1500s, the great reformer, Martin Luther, when he read... The book of James, he wanted to leave it out of the Bible because of passages just like this. Did you know that? Because James or, or Paul writes back in Ephesians, it is by grace you've been saved through 
faith. It's not about you. It's not so you can boast. It's the gift of God through, through Christ Jesus. And yet you got James right here saying, if you say you have faith but don't have works, can faith save you? And so it sounds like they're kind of at odds with one another. And so that's why Martin Luther said we don't even need the book of James. We don't need it, we don't need it in Scripture at all. But what that should actually read like, and, and several translations miss it, the NIV, I think, gets it right. How it should actually read is, can that kind of faith save you? Or can, can such a faith save you? We'll say, well, okay, well, if he's not just talking about faith only, if he's talking about a certain kind of faith, what's he talking about? And he goes on and explains it in verse 15. He says, if a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? Basically, he's saying, if you encounter somebody, and they have a need, and you don't meet it, yet you claim to have faith, who cares? What have you really done you come across somebody who is homeless you come across somebody who is broken you come across somebody who is a victim of oppression and injustice and all you say is hey go with god god bless you god be god loves you so much god be with you you know what who cares you know what i'm saying who cares that doesn't do anything okay Remember back when we've, you know, we've gone through the book of Luke, we've looked at the, the life of Jesus? Jesus said, you are either with me or against me. Okay, There is no neutral territory. There's no neutral ground that you can claim. Okay, So you're either with Jesus with your actions, or if you choose to remain neutral, you're not really remaining neutral, you're declaring allegiance to another kingdom the kingdom of evil, the kingdom of Satan, because you see a need and yet you've chosen not to meet it. That's the kind of faith that, that James is talking about. You want to say you have faith, yet you encounter somebody who's broken and, and hurting and you don't, you don't help them? That's a, that's a word-only faith. That's what we call intellectual assent. Okay, we've talked about that in here before, right? Let's just demonstrate it one more time. How many of you believe there's a France? Some of you don't believe there's a France? Okay. Okay. Uh, we've got several teachers. See one of our teachers. I'll give you a geography lesson. <laughs> okay. So how many of you believe there is a France? Let's just do that one one more time. Okay. Nearly 100%. How many of you have ever been to France? Okay, it's a much smaller number, okay? These people that have raised their hands, they've been to France. Can you verify that France is there? Yes? Okay, okay, they've verified France is there. Now then, for the rest of us who have never been to France, do we believe it's there? Okay, have we seen it? No. Okay, we've never seen it. We believe it's there yet it makes no difference in how we live our lives, right? That's intellectual assent. I mean, very few of us get up in the morning and say, you know what, I better not do that. 
There's a France. You know, we don't live our life that way when it comes to France. But a lot of people who claim to know God, who claim to be Christians, they live their life just like that. They say they believe in Him. They've never seen Him, yet He has no difference in how they live their lives. Their faith is just intellectual assent. Does that make sense? That's a word-only faith. Okay, and so when James says, can faith save you, that's the kind of faith that's the kind of faith he's talking about. He's actually complimenting what Paul is saying. He's critiquing those who just want to say, hey, all i got to do is believe in Jesus and nothing else. Believe in Jesus, then I can just sit here and observe. I can sit here and be a bump on the log. He is critiquing those people, saying that's not what this is about. There's more, there's more to it than this. Eugene Peterson, as he, he translates the message he translates verse 17 like this, God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. Does that make sense? As John would write in his letters, he would say something very similar in 1 John 3, 16 through 18. We know this love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and in action. You see, it's more than, it's more than just words. Okay, um, I posted something in our uh, Cornerstone communication group earlier this week. It's an article uh, by John Mark Hicks uh, at Lipscomb University. And uh, there was a quote in it that, that I really like. It goes real well with what we're talking about. Is this, he's talking about salvation. And he says, salvation is both definitive and participatory. In other words, I believe in Jesus, but there's more to it than that. We accept God's declaration by faith and we participate in God's transforming work by pursuing righteousness, practicing kingdom life, and following Jesus. In this way, we are both justified by faith, declared in the right by God's righteous act in Jesus, and justified by works, or we're doers of the law. We experience transformation through the empowered right living. The works are sanctification and confirmation into the image of Christ, empowered by the Spirit of God, evidence of the declaration of our justification. Our works embody our Christ-likeness and bear witness to the reality of God's kingdom in the world. By faith, we are in the right or justified through good works, sanctification. We become what God has declared us to be. You see, you can't separate, you cannot separate faith and works. Does that make sense? You cannot separate them. They go hand in hand, okay? We are saved by faith, yes or no? We are saved by faith, and it's by our works that we demonstrate the reality of our salvation. 
Does that make sense? Now then, let's be careful here because we can tip too far the other way. And we can say that it's our works that saves us. We're saved by what? By our faith. Our works, our deeds, our actions, they flow out of our salvation as an appreciation of what God has done in us. We don't do it to make sure we stay saved. We don't, we don't go serve at, at Providence Plaza, and we don't serve all of those college students in here just because that's what's going to save us. We do this because we look at what Jesus has done for us, and we say, God, this is just the least little bit that I can give back to you. And we demonstrate our faith through our actions. Our actions reveal the actuality of our salvation. And so this is what James is saying. And then he punches you right in the face with what he says next. Someone will say, you have your faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works. And I, by my works, will show you my faith. Yet you believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Okay, do you realize what he's just said? If your faith is a word-only faith, you've got a problem. Remember as we... As we've gone through the Gospels, as we talked about uh, God at war, and we looked at all the, the, the demonic activity that Jesus encountered, when Jesus would encounter demons, there was never a question of who He is, right? Never a question of who He is. They never questioned His authority, okay? James says, even the demons believe and they shudder. What he is saying here is if you've got a word-only faith, your faith is on the same level as the demons. Because even the demons believe. Even the demons believe and shudder. So do you see that James is calling us, he's calling us to put our faith into action. Does that make sense? He's calling us to put it into action to show that we do what we say we believe. This is what real faith is. He says, do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was brought to completion by these works. His faith was real. He trusted in God. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she sent, out, sent them out by another road? For just as the body without the Spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. Abraham and Rahab 
they both did some pretty serious things. God tells Abraham, go and sacrifice your son. He goes all the way to the point of raising the knife, getting ready to strike the death blow before God steps in and puts a stop to it. Do you think if he had a word-only faith, he would have done that? No. He put his faith into action. Rahab, she could have been killed for what she did, yet she hid the spies. She sent them out another way to protect them, to protect what, what God was trying to do. If she had a word-only faith, you don't do that. You don't risk your life for something that you're giving lip service to. James is calling us to put our faith in, into action. And so here's the point I want to make today. Real faith leads to real action. Does that make sense? Real faith leads to real action. This means that it gets involved. You know what I'm saying? When we see a need, when we see poverty, when we see brokenness, when we see injustice, when we see oppression, we step in, we get involved. To say bless your heart is about the worst thing we can say. Right? But we like to say it in the South, don't we? And that can either mean, hey, I hope things turn out well for you. Sometimes I think it means we're saying you're an idiot, but you know. Real faith gets involved. Real faith is personal. Real faith gets dirty. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, real faith gets dirty because you know as well as I do, when we start trying to put our faith into action... If we've got a neat and tidy little world going on, it is going to get messed with. Okay? Because the world is broken and it is dirty. And if we are going to get personal and if we are going to get involved, that means we are going to get dirty. But that's what real faith does. It's not a faith that sits on the sidelines and just observes. Okay? And so that's why I asked you at the beginning, is your faith a word-only faith, a faith that just leads you to just sit here and listen to me Sunday after Sunday? And i got to be honest with you, if that's all it is, that's a pretty boring existence in your faith. Okay? Because, you know, I mean, I know I'm all great and all that stuff, right? You know. But come on! There is so much more than listening to me. Yes, amen. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but there's so much more than just coming and, and, and attending church. If faith was just an endless amount of church services, who would want to be a part of that? Does that make sense? Faith is real. Faith gets involved in, in, in people's lives. 
It sees a need and it meets a need. It doesn't turn a blind eye to the things that are going on around us. And you and I both know there's a lot of stuff that's going on around us. Even in a, in a small community like ours, there are a lot of people who are hurting. And they need more than just a God be with you. They need us as the people of God to go be with them. To be the hands, to be the feet of Jesus. And so that's what we're asking ourselves. Is our faith a, a word-only faith? Is our faith just intellectual assent? Or are we putting our faith into action? The uh, early church father, uh, Polycarp, I love his story, disciple of John. <clears throat> he lost his life because, he, because of his faith. And he was an old guy when he died. He would not recount, recant his faith. And so he was threatened with lions, you know, we'll throw you before the beasts, They'll tear you limb from limb. All you have to do, Polycarp. And if I remember this story correctly, the people who were kind of interrogating him, I think they kind of liked him. And I think they were kind of hoping that he would say, okay, I recant. Caesar is Lord, not Jesus is Lord. He wouldn't do it. And they said, hey, we're going to have to throw you to the beasts. And he said, call them. Call those beasts. And he said something like 80 and 6 years, Christ has never betrayed me. Why would I start now? He said, we're going to have to burn you at the stake. And Polycarp said, what are you waiting for? And so they did. And he died a horrible death. But his faith was real. Now then, we probably, and I'm not going to say definitely, but we probably, we probably won't encounter anything like that. And it's probably that we won't demonstrate our faith that way. Now then, I'm not going to say never because anything can happen. But we certainly will encounter brokenness. And we certainly will encounter people in need. Will we not? In fact, I would say that when you leave here, within an hour, if your eyes are open and your heart is attuned, you will find somebody in need. And while most of us, we probably, probably won't die for our faith, we can demonstrate our faith in other ways. And that's through our action, through our love, through our compassion, through our justice. By saying that God sees you, He is real, I am here because of God. And then stepping in and doing something to improve someone's situation. Real faith leads to real action. Let's pray together.